Let's study the Word for a few minutes today. Today I'm bringing you a message I've called Getting Proactive for the Holidays. And in Getting Proactive, I offer you the best advice I can offer you for the holiday season and for the year 2020 to come. You can never talk about 2020 without people thinking about vision and seeing clearly and know where you're going and why. And so the best advice I can give you, the most consequential guidance I could offer would be simply this, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Now, you might listen to that and say, oh, Pastor, wait a minute. Are you giving us the New Year's sermon already? Uh, it, is, it is true that New Year's Day is a great time to talk about getting a fresh start, thinking about the consequences of decisions, the course of action you're going to follow in a new year. And yes, to be honest, I thought about saving this message until then. But you know what? I'm getting older. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, as you get older, a little bit of your knowledge begins to convert itself into wisdom. And one of the things that I think has gone slightly beyond knowledge into wisdom is this recognition that if we want to begin with the end in mind, the time to do that is not in January at the beginning of the year, it's right now. Because a lot of the decisions that we're going to make in this period between Thanksgiving and Christmas set us up for the way the first quarter of the new year starts. Those of you who pay credit card bills know exactly what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, with the things that have taken place with Black Friday sales, some of us have already begun making decisions that will significantly affect our other decisions throughout the rest of this holiday season and into the year to come. So why would we want to wait to start thinking with the end in mind. I mean, Black Friday has come and gone, Cyber Monday tomorrow, and then comes what? Giving Tuesday. You know, I, I'm trying to figure out, I know who made that order up, right? Because you do Black Friday and Cyber Monday, there's not much left for Giving Tuesday. Why would you ever wait until you've blown your resources on Friday or Saturday or Monday to begin to think about what you want to give to to make a difference in this world. Because by the time you get through Black Friday and Cyber Monday, a lot of folks don't have much left to give to other things. It is a reminder to all of us, you don't wait until race day to begin your preparation for running the race. If you wait until then, you have lost before the race has even begun. To run well and to win requires that you prepare and train and strategize and implement your plan well in advance of the actual day of the event. That's why it's called being proactive, getting ahead of the game. Before the activity comes the preparation. So to be proactive this holiday season, to begin with the end in mind, we need to back up from New Year's through Christmas and Advent and into Thanksgiving weekend. I do hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. As Clark so graciously pointed out, a number of our fellow staff members are enjoying great blessings 
traveling. Ananda made her way to Disney World for the first time. I have pictures of her in front of the castle and, and arm in arm with Mickey. And she's had a great time with the Keating family down there. Pastor Paula, and those of you who are unaware, part of our gift to her, right? Last year in December was her 10th anniversary. To book a trip like this takes a while. We gave her the resources for this trip for the first time in her life to travel to the Holy Land. It is a great gift, church family. Thank you for your generosity and support in giving of that gift. She's using her sabbatical time to do that, to not just go and enjoy, which she will, but many of us have had the privilege of going. You don't come back from the Holy Land unchanged. And so our prayer, and I invite you to keep praying for her. She'll be there for a couple of weeks. She flies out actually just a little bit later. She's been spending Thanksgiving with out-of-town family, but we pray for her to have a great trip and a great blessing and a great time of refreshment and learning because the whole point of a sabbatical is not just a vacation, but to bring back what you have studied and learned and bring it to bear. And I predict that over the next 12 months, we're going to enjoy a preaching pastor who has been influenced by a new experience. So again, thank you for your support and sending her out. And keep Pastor Jonathan in mind as he ministers and spends time with his family as well, and his mother who lives in Phoenix. So your, your thoughts and prayers are appreciated. I know we, it's easy to see we've got a lot of church members still out doing those same kinds of things, and that's a beautiful thing. Doesn't, doesn't change the fact for those of us who are here today and for them as they watch online or watch later, because I know many of them do, we need to be getting proactive now, making our decisions now about the intentionality, about the purpose for what we want to be about. So we're going to use a parable today, and if you were paying close attention while Jason read for us a while ago from Matthew chapter 25, I encourage you, if you have your Bible, you might just want to open it because it carries the whole story in that chapter. Matthew chapter 25, the parable that we often refer to as the parable of the talents. I did know the NIV changed it to the bags of gold when they, when they translated it into more modern language, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's start with the first part that I talked about, which is the fact that this is a parable, and that's very important because knowing it's a parable affects the way that we hear something. A parable, let's be clear, is an exaggerated story. It did not happen. Jesus is not saying that this is a true-to-life story. He's teaching in parables. He's trying to make a point. So the important thing for us is to get the point. Parables are kind of like knowledge, theological landmines. They're hidden. You don't really see it. It, it, it comes along and pops up at the end. It's, it's when you get through it that you end up realizing the story is not a story about a wealthy guy and three different servants. Like almost all parables, it's a story that ends up being about usins. It's for us. It's about other stuff, but the end is for us. Jesus' parables always had a point to them. And the point of today's parable, guess what it is? Begin with the end 
in mind. Jesus didn't use those exact words, but it is indeed the point of his parable. Now, when I say begin with the end in mind, right? After just celebrating Thanksgiving, knowing that for the next several weeks, churches around the world will be singing the songs that we just sang. They'll be putting all kinds of decorations, trees and garland and all kinds of stuff throughout the church buildings, and we'll be doing that also in our homes. If you're like us, you've already got that started at home. The day after Thanksgiving is a day for hauling stuff out of the attic and out of the storage room and getting things in place and beginning the setup. If you're one of those folks who has to seize the time off to get the job done, we do it well. It's a big deal. We set up nativity scenes. We, we do all these kinds of different things. And in the coming weeks, we'll be reading the Scripture stories about Mary and Joseph. You know the players, right? The, the kings and the, the shepherds and, and all the folks and the, the evil king and all this kind of stuff. Generally speaking, my experience has been that the church of Jesus Christ is far better at celebrating the first coming of our king but that often we allow the second coming to kind of get overshadowed, lost in the confusion. And when you look through the pages of Scripture, you see there are passages that talk about Jesus' first coming, but in the Scriptures, what's talked about far more is His ultimate coming, His second coming. There is no doubt in the New Testament, the message is this, Jesus is coming back. Now, when you thumb through those pages in the New Testament, Every single book either alludes to or directly mentions Jesus' return. Now, let's be clear. Do we know exactly when Jesus is coming back? No. Here's what we do know. We're closer today than we were yesterday. We are on our journey. We're closer this year than we were last year. And we know from the pages of Scripture that He is returning, so the question is simply this, are we ready? What do we do in this meantime, in this in-between time, while we wait for Jesus to return? And let's be honest, we are not the first people to ask this question. While Jesus was still on this earth Himself, He knew that believers across the centuries ahead would be asking this same question. As a matter of fact, before he left this earth, his own disciples said, Lord, if you go away, what are we to do while you're gone? What, what do we do to prepare for your return? And Jesus responds by telling this series of parables because he's trying to communicate with them from his heavenly, eternal perspective. From his perspective, at this point, he's obviously publicly declared he's the Messiah. He understands his role. He is here to help them understand these poor mortal men, to help them understand what to expect about Jesus' return, what they should do while they are awaiting and anticipating the return of Christ. So, in the parable that we're looking at today, Jesus communicates that people need to live with the end in mind. 
So let's, let's look at it again. Matthew 25, the whole story was 14 through 30 that Jason read to us uh, earlier. If you have the NIV version in front of you, which is what I'm using today, it starts just like this. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now, you ought to, you got to stop right there. Again, that's a heck of a word to start with. And why is that? Because this is, again, another parable about life in the kingdom of God, how we are to live until Jesus returns. And he's been telling a series of stories. So when he gets to Matthew 25, and remember, in, in the original stuff, there were not chapter breaks, there were not verse breaks. Those were all added in later. It just goes from one story to another on what life in the kingdom is to be like. It, he says, again, it will be like what it? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey. And then he takes his servants. He entrusts his wealth to them. I mentioned earlier, you mostly know this. I've certainly heard it many, many times. We call it the parable of the talents. And the reason that we shy away from using that word now is that the word talents doesn't mean what, what the word talent meant at the time the Bible was translated and at the time the story was recorded. So let's, let's talk about this for just a minute. He says, there's a man going on a journey. He calls his trusted servants. He entrusts his wealth, his property, his money to them. And he entrusts, the Bible says in verse 14, and that's an important word. If you have your Bible open, entrust. That's a crucial word. It doesn't simply mean to hold on to. It doesn't just mean to keep safe. It doesn't just mean don't lose it. When I entrust my children to your care, having a sleepover, we're doing a share, right? They're doing this when your kids are small, and you entrust your children to another family. Uh, yes, you expect them to be kept safe. Yes, you want them to return to you, but you want them to have a, a healthy experience while they're going on. And when you're talking about money, in particular in this case, he's talking about an investment, taking care of it so that when I return, yes, what I've got's there, but there's a growth to it, right? So you entrust someone with your kids to take them to the zoo, to take them to the museum, to have fun together, to grow in friendship, to grow in relationship, not just to come back and take them, put them in a closet, return them to you in three days. That would be child abuse. That, that's not entrusting. Entrusting means I expect you to do something with them while you've got them. So there's this man, and we learn that he was quite the wealthy man. He's going on a journey, and he entrusts to them his wealth. What he's saying is, hey, servants, I'm entrusting my property to you specifically, individually. Everybody's going to have an accountability. And what we see here is that the master is relinquishing his wealth and trusting it into the hands of his servants. And he's basically saying, I want you to manage my wealth as I would. 
I want you to do what you think I would do with it. I want you to invest it somewhere. I want you to take care of it. I'm entrusting it to you for a good while. So he takes this talent. It's not the talent of dancing. It's not the talent of singing. It is a gold talent. Scholars believe in our terms today, somewhere one talent around $300,000 worth in modern money. So he relinquishes five talents to one servant. That's, do my math here, right? Five times 300, 1.5 mil, right? Not that hard. 1.5 million. Think about if you came in here today and we came to you with five briefcases stuffed with cash, 300,000 each, and we're entrusting it to you. Now, see, if, if you're a person in the first century and Jesus is telling the story, telling this parable, even today, we're thinking 300K, that's a lot. Well, five times that. Wait a minute, Jesus. No master would ever just hand over this kind of money to a servant. And Jesus would say what? Of course not. It's a parable. It's a story. It didn't really happen. Chill out. Get your eye off of the specifics. There's a point to the story. It's a parable about the kingdom, okay? But that would cause you to kind of lose the zip to the story, isn't it? When you're interrupt, tell me about the Christian. Oh, can I ask about this? No, tell the story. So the text says that the servant knew what to do. It says, he gave them to each one, and the man who received five bags of gold went, what does that say next? At once. He went immediately to do something with these resources. He knew he needed to get it to work. Why? Because he's watched how his master does things, and he's going to do what his master does. Everybody say, hmm, hmm. There's a lesson for right now, beginning with the end in mind, do what the master does. Do what the master does. And so he takes it, he puts it to work. He didn't just keep it safe. He didn't just lock it down. He used it so it could grow. And he gained five more talents. The second servant does the very same thing, right? He gets his two bags of gold. He gains two more. This, this, is doing, this is doing well. And then the man who has received one bag of gold, he goes off, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money, to which we're thinking, who on earth would do that? Who would go, take a shovel, dig a hole in the ground, and bury 300,000? Jesus, nobody would do that. And Jesus would reply, no, n nobody would do that. It's a parable. There's a big point. It's not in every detail. There's a big point. So keep listening. So what do we learn less next as we keep listening? Well, now we learn that the master not only relinquishes his stuff, but he rewards his servants. Verse 19 says, after a long time. Long time. Say that with me. Long time. Long time. Not a few days, not a little time, not see you next year, long time, a really long time, so long 
that the servants began to wonder, is the master ever coming back? It has been my experience. There are a lot of Christians who live like that must be at the forefront of their brain. Oh, I, I don't, I've never met a Christian who would say that's the question at the forefront of my brain. Uh, we never admit to that. But a lot of us live like the question in the front of our brain is, eh, I wonder if the master is ever coming back. Oh, 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 oh he is. He is. So these, these guys are starting to wonder, and what happens after a, what was that word again? A long time, right? After a long time. The master comes back, and look at me. The master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. In other words, the master investigates. He reviews what they have done in his time away. Boy, that's not really the happy Christmas message, is it? This is the one that kind of gets you on your toes. And the master basically says, okay, I'm back now. What did you do with the things I entrusted to you? I didn't stand over your shoulder. I didn't limit what you could do with them. I entrusted them to you based on what you have watched me do. What did you do with the briefcases of cash? What did you do with the sacks of gold? What did you do with the talents that I gave you? I, because I, I know it's, I've been away a long time, and you may have forgotten this, but that money is mine. And I'd like to know, what did you do with this opportunity that I gave to you? What did you do with the opportunity? And the first guy comes up, see, Master, you gave me five bags of gold. I, I made five more. Matt, well done, the Master says. Master rewards him. He began with the end in mind. He said, I got these five goals. I got to get out and get busy. And he went at once and he got busy with them. He knew the master would be back someday. He knew he would have to give an account for the things he had done with his master's resources. And now the master has returned and he rewards the one with five who earned five more, the one with two who earned two more. This, this is great in 21 through two. I will put you in charge. Well done. You know, it's the end of the year. I, I don't know about place your business, but we will have a staff dinner, and I will be talking with our staff, and I will thank them one by one because they've done a, a good job with what's been entrusted to them this year. Hadn't been an easy year. Folks, I sat down actually for Thanksgiving and made a list of stuff that happened in the months of November, December of 2020. 18 and January through November of 2019, stuff that I've been through as a person and stuff that I've been through as a pastor. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it, stuff we've been through together as a church. And I believe that our staff has done a great job, and it will be a great joy for me to give them some surprises. I can't tell you what they are because then it wouldn't be a surprise for them. But I got some surprises to say thank you to them. Well done, like this guy hears us. You have been faithful with the, the few things, with what I could. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. What a joy. And he, he repeats the exact same thing for the one who doubled his two as he does for the one who doubled the five. So this is the good part. The master rewards the faithful servants. Unfortunately, 
The parable does not end there. I say unfortunately for the guy who's about to come up. It's fortunate because we get the point, because the point still hadn't been made yet, because the point isn't just about rewards. The point is also that the master rebukes the unfaithful servant. And if this were a movie and not a parable, right now is when you'd hear that bum, 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 bum. I mean, things start to change, right? The music changes, the soundtrack. It's no longer happy and joy. Now it's the shark coming through the water. Now it's the, the trouble, the, the tracks have been broken, and you're going to go pitching the, off into the cane, whatever it might be. The evil guys coming down the hallway with the, with the horrible weapons. I mean, whatever your scary movie is, this is where that music kind of kicks in. And here's what happens. The guy with the one talent who dug a hole and buried it, his turn to give a report. And 24 and 25, the verses say this. The man who'd received one bag of gold came, master, he said. And let me just, by the way, if you're going to be meeting with your boss for a year-end review or something, let me just, don't take the approach this guy's about to take. Because he, he employs what we call the best defense is a good offense approach. It doesn't go well with the master. Because here's what he says. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. It's your fault that I've done it this way. That's just not the way to respond. (laughs) And it wasn't for this guy, and it won't be for us, my brothers and sisters, He returned simply what belonged to him, what he had been given. He uses this moment to accuse his master, a first century version of the blame game. Well, things didn't all turn out the way I thought they should, you know, but really, you're the one in charge. It's your fault. What a great way for us to abdicate responsibility. That's what this guy is doing. And, of course, you've got to ask yourself, what did he think the master was going to say in response to that? What is the master supposed to say? I can tell you this. This guy did not begin with the end in mind. Because if you know that there's an accountability and you know how the master has produced wealth and everybody else is getting this picture, right? The others are, and he's sitting back here saying, no, I'm... I'm not going to pay any attention to that. And his master says, you are a wicked, lazy servant. And the word for wicked is actually worthless, which is tied to the whole story being about money, of course. He says, so you knew. You knew this stuff about me. You knew I'm about multiplying resources and making a difference, and still you chose to go out and bury this in the ground, and he says, you're lazy, you're slothful. All you did, you dug a hole and you put the resources in there. You could have at least put it in the bank and earned a little interest. But you didn't even do that because of your irresponsibility with the opportunity that I provided. You did not take advantage of it. Indeed, you wasted your opportunity. And in verse 28, Wow, this is where it starts to get thick. The master says, take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has 10. And some of us here, see, we're going to play the modern game. We're going to say, well, no, wait, 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 Jesus. This hardly seems 
fair. It's just not really fair. Wouldn't it be fair to give the, the one talent guy, let's give him some of what the guy who had five had. Let's change our distribution effect and, and, and let's make it a little more even. It's not fair. Okay, Jesus, what, what would he say? He'd say, you're exactly right. It's not, it's not fair. But this parable is not about fairness, and the parables have a point, not 20 points. So it's not about fairness. What's it about? It's about an, something entirely different from fairness. And Jesus tells us in verse 29, if you've got your Bible open, he says, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And they say, wow, Jesus really hated poor people. That's not the point either, folks. Because even though money is the instrument that Jesus is using in the story, what's he actually talking about? He's actually talking about opportunity the opportunities that we have in life. It doesn't mean, this verse does not mean that whoever has a bunch of possessions will be given even more possessions. It means that whoever has used the opportunities that God has provided and has responded faithfully will be given more opportunities and will see those opportunities when they appear. And we'll remember what the master does with his opportunities. When Jesus came to earth, what did he do with his opportunity? He only managed to save the world. But hey, so what is our responsibility? What is our responsibility? Whoever does not use the opportunities that God has given, those opportunities will be taken away and given to someone else. Folks, that sounds really harsh, but you know what else that sounds like to me? Really true. It's gospel. It's in the gospel of Matthew. When God provides us an opportunity, he wants us to take advantage. He concludes the parable with those really harsh words, and throw the worthless servant out into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, this is about heaven. It's not about heaven. Not, the point is about opportunity. So don't get, oh, oh now we've got to talk about how Jesus throws away worthless Christians. No, 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 no. That is not the point. The servant was in. Oh, everybody, please pay attention right now because you're in church today, right? That gives you, gives me some sense of how you understand yourself a little bit before God. You're here to worship. You're, you're here seeking to hear from God. Understand, this servant was one of three. If this guy had this much money, how many servants do you think he had? A ton. Way more than three. And he pulls these three in the inner circle and gives them a prime opportunity to use what has been entrusted to them to do something great for the outer circle and for the master. And he comes to the end of this story, and he moves on to another parable. Now, I want us, before we leave this one, and this is all we're looking at today, Let's understand why this parable is important for us today in our setting, our time. Because once this holiday season is over, once the turkey has been eaten 
and the concerts have been presented and enjoyed, and the presents have been opened, and the trash has been discarded, and we've gone to midnight parties and rung in a new year. We've done all those things. We'll be sitting here in January thinking, what are the opportunities that are now in front of us in 2020? And what am I going to do with those? I guarantee you we're going to raise those questions. You know when the time to start thinking about them is? Right now. Right now. Because decisions that we made on Black Friday two days ago, on Cyber Monday tomorrow, on Giving Tuesday, on, and as we go throughout this month of December, they're going to shape the shape that we're going to be in in January. And, and they will influence us as we look at the new opportunities that are in front of us. And so the question is going to be, what are you going to do and what are we going to do with the opportunities that God has given us? And, and, and to really kind of hone it in on what I've been trying to communicate with you this morning and kind of the retelling of this story is to ask you this question. Have you individually... Put yourself in a position as a result of the decisions and actions that you took this past weekend and what you're going to be taking in the days ahead. Have you put yourself in a position to take full advantage of the opportunities God is going to put before you in the rest of this year and the year ahead? Brothers and sisters, that is one serious question. And it's why we can't wait until New Year's Day to think about it. But now, as we are making decisions about time and money and how we invest ourselves and what values are driving those investments, please hear this. Don't be confused by the parable and some of the other. The question will not be, why didn't I get as many opportunities as that other guy? That, that, that will not be the question. Nobody cares about how many opportunities the other guy got when they're talking to you. What God wants to know, what we need to hold each other accountable to, what are we doing with the opportunities the Lord has given us? What kind of, and let's understand, what kind of position have we put ourselves in to be able to leverage the opportunities that God gives us, whether it's one, two, five, seven, a hundred? How are you going to use the gifts that God has entrusted to you, the resources that God has entrusted to you? Will you decide now to make decisions over this holiday season so that you begin the new year and you are in a position to do so with the end in mind instead of just what circumstances demand? It's funny how we run up big bills and then when we're paying them in, in January, our credit card bills, and we say, well, you know, God says pay your bills. yes. Here's the question, did God tell you to run up those bills? See, that, that, the decisions we make to put us in a position with the opportunities. And let me just close. Let's talk about what some of those opportunities might look like. Because it's easy from this, frankly, to, to talk about the financial resources 
that we give away. Some of you give very generously to the church, very grateful for that. We've had a challenging year. We appreciate everybody's generosity, and we'll appreciate what you do the rest of the year. You've heard about the Philippines. You know about the Christmas tree ornaments. You know, all the stuff that we're trying to do beyond this place with other resources on top of our tithes and offerings. I understand that. That's the easy part. There are some other things. For example, some of you in this room, your family is going to be growing in the year ahead. Maybe you're going to have a baby born into your family, or maybe a college child will complete their studies and come back to live with you, or maybe you're in a generation where a parent will be moving in with you, but your household is going to grow this year in some way, some fashion. Here's the question, what are you going to do with that opportunity? And what position are you putting yourself in to be prepared to make the most of it? At the end of this new additions time with you, whether it's a, 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 a brother who, who moves in while he's changing houses or uh, 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 somebody else in your family who moves in before they transition to a, a retirement home or, like I said, that college kid or that newborn, regardless of what the age group is, what are you going to do at the end of their stay with you? What do you hope it looks like? What difference do you hope to have made? Just put a roof over their head for the time they were there? Well, that's hardly a sufficient goal. That's like oh, I don't know. That's like digging a hole in the ground and throwing a bag of gold in it and covering it back up. Because parents, a child in your home, oh, it's just too easy to pass up. It's a golden opportunity to influence somebody for a lifetime. It was my privilege last summer to have a college graduate come back and live with us for about 10 weeks. Dear friend, just needed summer housing. The oper- what did we want out of that time with them? How could we bless them? At the end of whoever it might be, at the end of their time with you, will you have leveraged your time with them so that they leave your place with more hope? Have you pointed them to God's Word and to God's ways by the way you live and by what you talked about? And whether it's 18 years with that new child or whether it's two years from somebody moving in temporarily for some reason or or six months while somebody's in transition, whatever it might be, what do you want the end to look like? What are you going to do with that opportunity? Or here's another one. Now, you married people, this thing is kind of settled for you, but there are plenty of people in this room who are not married, and there are plenty of people who are going to be beginning some romantic relationships in the next year. Now, when I say begin with the end in mind, uh, I don't mean that on your first date you're pulling out the wedding planner because that's a little creepy. (laughs) But you need to begin with the end in mind. I'm a big advocate of dating on purpose with intentionality. Um, You know, we had this conversation with our kids We live in a very diverse community, and they had friends from every kind of religious and ethnic background, more than I ever knew existed when I was their age. And they did far better with that than I ever did. But one of the things we challenged them on was to contemplate how every relationship affects where you're going in the long term. 
you need to think about that and let that influence you. Date with the end in mind. Because if you just say, well, you know, I just met this person, uh, you know, we were having this after work thing at a bar and we had a drink together, kind of like they're coming. We're just going to take it a day at a time and see where it goes. Okay, now I can, I can appreciate the spontaneity piece for about five minutes, but the next question you need to think about before you take the next step is, you know, what, what do we have in common and what do we believe about the master to whom I'm going to give an account? And can we have that as a part of our conversation, as a part of our, our discussion together and the things that we do together? Because just, here's the part we should all get clear. Just to be in a relationship, to be in a relationship, that's the lazy servant that he got after at the end too. Whatever relationship you're in, begin with the end in mind. If I haven't touched on your situation yet, let me just say this. For a lot of us, there are going to be things in this holiday season, and particularly as we think about the new year, things that we need to start doing, some things we need to stop doing, right? Make those decisions by having the end in mind. Maybe it is that you're finally going to make and hold to and live according to an actual monthly budget in your household. Maybe that's it for you. Uh, maybe it's you're finally going to make a will or establish a particular trust for your family or you're doing something to prepare because what you know is that the end is coming. We don't know when we're going to die, but as I said at the beginning, today we are one day closer than we were yesterday. And so you need to be thinking about the end in mind, right? What do you want this to? Because the end is coming whether we want it or not, all right? The end is coming. Just like the end of this sermon is coming. It's, it's coming. <laughs> Begin with the end in mind. Watch yourself back there. <laughs> Before we laugh too much, let me say this. This, this also speaks to addiction and habits, and I, I draw a definition, to, I understand that they're not the same thing, but a lot of bad habits turn into almost like an addiction. Um, if you're here today and you're wrestling with addiction, I want you to know we, we got plenty of help besides condemnation for you. We are not interested in condemnation. If you're here today and you think these church people wouldn't know what to do if I told them I'm addicted, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many people walk through these doors and have wrestled down those things. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or imagine. Some of us in the coming year need to take better care of ourselves physically. Regular exercise, a healthier diet. We need to take better care of ourselves emotionally. We need to build the relationships and make them healthy ones and not codependent ones. Whatever it is, you have to have a goal and you have to have a plan. Maybe it's starting a prayer time with your family. Maybe you need to decide. We're not, I'm not ready to start a prayer time, but I'm ready to remove the arguing time. Okay, that's a beginning. That's a beginning thing. Stop fighting with your spouse and arguing with your children. And, because what do you want them to say, right? This is the question, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, and at the end. 
There's only one way to shape that, and that's really to begin with the end in mind. So let's go back to the big picture that started. We're done with this. At some point in time, the master will return. Jesus is coming back. He will settle accounts. He will see what we have done with the opportunities that were entrusted to us. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to celebrate with us. He wants to share his joy with his servants and say, well done. If that's what you want to hear, then right now, not January 1, not three weeks from now when you're up to $3,000 in credit card debt you don't know what to do with, right now, begin with the end in mind and enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Lord, you make a powerful point in your word. You've made it clear to us again today. You are the master. You have a plan, but you also have a lot of resources that you've entrusted to us as part of that plan. You have provided pathways with great resources. Help us to walk wisely. You've entrusted us as individuals with great resources, no matter what our economic station, no matter whether we think the guy around the room from us has received more, the gal over there has had more resources, more opportunity. You have provided great resources to all of us who are sitting in this place today. And we want to be found faithful and we want to reproduce. We want to do with them what you would do with them. So give us guidance, give us courage, and allow us to share in the joy. We pray that just as we have sought to be faithful with the resources and opportunities of 2019 as a church, that as we close out this year and begin the new, we continue to put ourselves in a place where you want to entrust us with more because we are being found faithful with what you have already given. With that in mind, we pray for every mission effort taking place, the missions of our families, with our friends, with our co-workers, with our Latino congregation and our Brazilian congregation, with the work that's being done in the Philippines and Brazil and Africa and Germany and all the places, New Zealand, that we sponsor at God, multiply our opportunities and help us be courageous in our obedience to share in your joy. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people agreed and said, amen.